And if you don't want to hear it, well then go on about your day. But wear a mask so we can celebrate. Please wear a mask so we can congregate. Just wear the mask. Nobody's trying to take your rights away. And if you're going to make that face, we'd rather you cover it. So that's so, a woman called Heidi Burson. She's a uh, one of the many unemployed singers probably in Nashville. But anyway, she put that together and wearing a mask. And I don't know if that's an appeal to uh, red state America on wearing the masks. Trump's wearing a mask now. McConnell says wear a mask. Um, Walmart's making masks mandatory starting Monday. So is Kroger Groceries. That's a lot of rural and red state America mm-hmm. saying you got to wear a mask. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah, we talked about this at length earlier in the show. I got a lot of emails uh, from people who are anti-mask. They cite this doctor and that doctor is saying, no, it's actually, it makes it worse. It doesn't help at all. I, I don't find the arguments uh, winning, um, but, you know, they're at least well-reasoned. Quick thing on uh, Zoom class stuff. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm troubled that uh, more of the conversations don't include, when you hear it on TV, you hear politicians talking about it, you hear all the uh, various pundits talking about it. Nobody ever mentions it was horrible. It was a disaster. I mean, if you were going to grade it on how effective it was, you'd have to give it an F. It would get an F. So you got to include that in the conversation, don't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you sure as heck should. But you're right. The L.A. school district, San Diego school districts, and several others now, Sacramento, have announced that they will uh, start with distance learning, which was a disaster last year. No, nobody says that. Nobody adds that in. Now, if the virus is bad enough and it spreads and this and that, and that's your reasoning, well, that's a good enough reason. But you you should include that this is a terrible alternative. Right. (laughs) It's barely an alternative at all. A huge compromise at best. Anyway, we got this text from a teacher. I thought this was pretty good, and this rings true with what happened in our household. Zoom kept my already engaged students afloat. So they stayed afloat. Mm -hmm. Zoom kept my low students low. Once behind, no way students can catch up via Zoom. We realized that. Luckily, uh, we had somebody that could be a tutor, and I can afford a tutor. But my son was behind in math. If he hadn't had a tutor to, well, basically play the role of a teacher at home like you would in the classroom, no way he'd have ever caught up. As mm-hmm. this teacher says, if they fall behind, they can't catch up via Zoom. That's just a fact. You're just done. Unless, I mean, as a parent, you could do this, too. But you you got to have a parent who's got the time to now take on the role of being a teacher. You are now a teacher. Um, you know, way more to the extent than, 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 we, than we normally are We're with homework, and you help them with the homework and make sure they get it done. But you're doing the full-on being a teacher part if your kid falls behind at all. The education gap will get bigger, says this teacher. Starting in the fall with Zoom, we'll make sure the students stay behind. The students and teachers will have no buy-in with each other, mm, which is wow. obviously true. Heard from a beloved listener in stationed with the U.S. military in Italy who said the DOD schools are going back in the classroom in the fall, partly because you can't have military personnel saying, I can't come to work because I got to teach my kid. And also, there are no teachers' unions. So everybody's going to do their best to, to be safe, but they're going to get on with the business of educating the kids. That will be a, a test case worth observing. I have a very strong feeling, based on what's known at this point, that the kids will be perfectly fine. You know, if you are a 55-year-old teacher or a teacher with an underlying health problem, I don't have a problem with us figuring out 
how to not have you become destitute if you have to stay home. I think maybe we can find it in our hearts and national budget to help in some regard. But given that this is a gigantic international crisis, anybody want to argue with that? Okay, let's stipulate it's a gigantic crisis. Well, then let's say young, healthy teachers, you go. Oldsters, you stay home. I mean, this is a crisis. And everybody's just engaging in their kind of middling teacup pinky in the air solutions. This is a serious problem. We're going to have to do serious things or choke our society and our education system to death by shutting everything down. I just don't get you people who only see the one risk, and that's the vid. And again, it's being compared from uh, normal to not quite as good as normal. No, it's comparing normal to what was a failure. Normal to if your kid's teacher was a constantly drunk prostitute who was entertaining Johns, you know, uh, uh, in the the back of the classroom while your kids are watching a a film strip. Well, you got to get your kid into private school if that's what's happening. (laughs) All right. That's not a good teacher. Um, so we're getting our first taste of sports with a crowd. NASCAR did it with 20,000 fans. Driving now, in circles isn't a sport. One way they pulled it off is it's a stadium that holds 160,000 people, and they had 20,000 people there. Masks were mandatory. Well, according to reporters, people did comply almost 100% for the mandatory masks to enter. But as soon as they got in, they took them off and kept them off for the entire race. So that could be what it's like if you try to have a NBA game or a baseball game or whatever. People will put on the mask to walk past the turnstile where the person says you have to have a mask. Then as soon as you get in there, you take it off. And what are they going to do? Kick you out? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, NBA's not having fans, right? Have, have they nailed that down yet? Do we know what that's going to look like here in a couple of weeks? Is it? Are we going to hear the squeaking of the shoes and the yelling at each other? Is it going to be silent? Is it going to be fake crowd noise? Does anybody know? I've seen baseball testing out some fake crowd noise stuff, but I haven't seen anything from the NBA on that. I, and I haven't heard an official announcement. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's going to be squeaky sneakers and their best attempts to not get on court chatter. And the other rule changes are you no longer have to dribble, and there will be a third basket at center court 30 feet in the air, and that's a 10-point shot. <laughs> you got to build your offense around that. So, <laughs> you got to draft for that. You got to trade for that. Russia's trying to steal the COVID-19 vaccine before the rest of the world gets it. Britain, the United States, and Canada accused Russia today of trying to steal information from researchers seeking a COVID-19 vaccine. Why don't we give it? Won't won't we give it to them as soon as we have it? All three nations allege that the hacking group APT29, also known as Cozy Bear, and it's part of the Russian intelligence service, is attacking academic and pharmaceutical. Yes, here I am. Is God speaking to me? Or did everybody else hear that? I heard that too. I heard it too. If you've read the Bible, here I am is a common refrain throughout the Old Testament. I'll be your cozy bear. Oh, yeah. Can you dig it? I'll be your cozy bear. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a very white hit of the 70s. Back to cozy bear and their hackins. Cozy Bear, which is part of the Russian intelligence service, that's pretty clever to try to pass it off. It's just kind of a rogue, uh, you know, 400-pound guy sitting on his bed there in Russia. Sure. No, it's their damn 
uh, CIA, KGB, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they're attacking academic and pharmaceutical research institutions involved in coronavirus vaccine development. They're trying to get it first. Well, there's, I don't quite get this. I've read a number of articles about it. I still don't quite understand the feeling that whoever gets it first is going to have so much power over the world. Like, if China gets it, are they going to say, we've got it and you don't, and you're all going to die. Oh, we'll and rub their hands to together you. like this? Or what, what was going to happen there? We'll sell it to you for $1 million. <laughs> or, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I assume if we and the Brits and the Canadians get it, we'll just give it out to everybody. Well, well right. Yeah. So why, thing to do. why would Russia be trying to steal it? If, because they're evil. If there's a scarce resource or something, you can try to hoard that or corner the market on that and then... Extort for money, I guess, to or, or have it all go through you. That that's my sure. assumption. I haven't heard any power is the goal. Just having the power, how you use oh. it, you have many options for, for propaganda. Look, hey, we're the ones who got this virus to the world, mm, not yeah. not them, not I, their I get, system. I get that. That's part of the China thing, yeah. especially. Um, so there was a phone call between Xi and Putin the other day, and some of the transcript was released. And they both were uh, really congratulating each other on a bunch of things that the rest of the world thinks is evil and uh, really excited about and stating over and over again about the new world order and how much better this is for everybody. Wow. And what they mean is a world not led by the United States. It's read by the Russia-China pact. Mm-hmm. That is frightening as hell, people. Yeah, I'd say. Two of the great evildoers joining forces. Terrible. So the uh, African-American Museum there on the National Mall, the Smithsonian uh, Museum, has engaged in white supremacy, or so it would seem. What? We have that doesn't a, seem the, the like would make sense. Cuban immigrant, given the rough side of his tongue to uh, Americans who hate this country. That's good stuff. Hmm. And all sorts of, we barely have time. We don't have time to get in all the good stuff we, we want to share with you. Six-pound show in a five-pound bag is what it is. Stay with us. Texas actually spread coronavirus to 17 members of his family after a surprise birthday party. Sure, they should have worn masks, but even worse, they hired a guy named DJ COVID. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we've been to gatherings and had some gatherings. Nobody was making anybody wear masks at the private residence. I would, but like I mentioned, we had somebody visit us and they showed up wearing a mask. We didn't wear masks. I didn't wear a mask in my own house. I don't know. Each their own, I guess. Mm. But wh- why would I have different standards at my own home or somebody else's home than I have at the restaurant? It doesn't really make any sense, right? There's this weird, because I know you, you must not have it thing we all have. <laughs> right, right. So all sorts of stuff to cram in, including the insanity at the Smithsonian uh, museums. Just You can't even believe what's going on, but we'll, we'll share it with you. I'm going to play you a little bit of this. This is a fellow by the name of Maximo Alvarez. He's a Cuban immigrant. And we've we've uh, spoken personally with or received emails from uh, immigrants from the Soviet bloc throughout the years, uh, especially, you know, earlier on in the show's history when 
the Soviet Union and the communist bloc was so much bigger and people were fleeing at any chance they could to come to America. And the perspective of uh, perspective of people who've flown uh, socialist and communist regimes and come to this country, I think, is one that we really, really ought to hear. No kidding. Um, and, and they are, to a person, aghast at the move toward more government control, redistribution, uh, uh, and, and the rest of it. But let's start with the clip uh, 60 of Maximo Alvarez. Just think that in 1961, as a 13-year-old, by myself, I arrived in this great country, and almost 60 years later, I'm sitting next to the President of the United States, talking about the American dream, the only country in the world, no other country in the world, that you can start a business from the trunk of your car, and within a very few years, with hard work, commitment, and all the core values that we learn from this very culture of ours, we can become very important to our future. We can become those people who make the next generation better than the one before. What's interesting, and this is getting ahead of ourselves when we talk about the uh, African-American Museum and the Smithsonian, some of the stuff they're saying, there were several things he said there that are called racist now. Him talking about hard work and opportunity and the rest of it. That's actually racist to say that, according to the lunatics. Uh, and then let's do one more clip. 51, I think, is really, or I'm sorry, 61 is really good. And this is something that we need to understand. What is happening in our backyard today, I experienced as an 11-year-old. I remember vividly all the promises that a guy named Castro gave and how 99% of the people swallow the pill. It took many years later, after I read somebody named Saul Alinsky, that I realized that all those people were nothing but useful idiots. I remember Castro, while in the mountains, being interviewed and asked if he was a communist. He went crazy. I dare you, he says. Catolico, apostolico, romano. I'm a Roman Catholic. Educated by the Jesuits, he was. He was going to save Cuba. I remember how he promised to the farmers, to the Guajiros, that you're going to own the land. I remember all the promises that we hear today about free education and free health care and free land. And my God, no freedom. But he never said that until after he was in power, got rid of all the police, got rid of all the military, been there for the last 60 years and counting. And he destroyed each and every one who helped him. So that's good stuff. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And it's, uh, you know, it's he's singing in a choir with virtually everybody who escaped communism. They all say the same thing. Oh, my God, do not give away... Uh, what you have, and actually, one of the more touching things he said is when his father saw him graduate from college, which he said uh, his father said was the best moment of his life. It was the greatest gift he ever saw, uh, he ever got seeing his son graduate from college. His father said, "For God's sake, don't lose what you had, what you have in this country." I was lucky; I had somewhere to go from Cuba. If you lose the U.S., you're going to have nowhere to go. 
unless, I don't know, you go to Ecuador or some country where they still uh, believe in, uh, you know, economic opportunity and freedom, that sort of stuff. But anyway, that's great. I'm glad he did that stuff. You know, I, wonder, I wonder about the um, the life cycle of a, of, a, of, a, of a system. If it just, you know, you just reach a natural end where things get, uh, people get, uh, the middle class gets raised up enough, there are enough people that you have no fear from outside threat, you're not going to starve, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and just... You try to get that last percentage of perfection going, and just I wonder if that's just the life cycle, right. and then you fall apart. Right, and to achieve that last one percent or ten percent or whatever of perfection of utopia, uh, you have. Yeah, what do you need? You need control. You need real control to institute what you think ought to happen, and that control will be abused every single time. But. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's no convincing people out of their utopian visions. They think, no, this time we'll get it right. So speaking of that sort of thing, an actual Smithsonian Museum putting out what is practically straight out of the Klan, white supremacism, very odd. Uh, That'll, you know, we'll tell you about that. What do you hear will shock you. Armstrong and Getty. You tell me how a president in the middle of a pandemic has got time for this bullshit. Are you kidding me? Hawking products, I don't care who it is. Resolute desk in the middle of a pandemic. They're selling beans. Is that Jake Tapper on the air? Yeah. That's yeah. that's one of the Cuomo guys. That's not Jake Tapper. I recognize the. Oh, voice. I'm sorry. I got, oh, yeah. Did I get my my liar. anchors mixed up? I'm sorry. Lion, that was liar. Cuomo. Jake Tapper's got a great new book out about um, Afghanistan. Have you been following this? What's going on in Afghanistan? I never hear about it. <sighs> well, that's a good one right there. We have in the last couple of days pulled out of five different outposts in Afghanistan that are now in the hands of the Afghan security forces, which means they'll be in the hands of the Taliban within days or weeks. Sure. Uh, but Jake Tapper's got a book out. The day after his son was born, he was home watching the news, and he saw something about a, a battle that happened in one outpost, and he just got interested in it and like really did a deep dive with some of the guys with, that were there and has written a whole book about it. And it's pretty damned interesting. It's another one of those. It's like Restrepo. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's one of those books that show there were some really hard-fought, you-could-make-a-movie-out-of-the-bravery stories for a piece of rocks and dirt that nobody cared about then and really nobody cares about now. Mm-hmm. But we had some of our best people, you know, fighting for their lives in those spots of ground for no good reason. Really. Yeah, often the next month it would be decided, no, nah, we don't need that valley. Jake Tapper's point is not for no good reason. I added that in, but he just wants people to know about this particular battle, mm-hmm. which we should know about. But, it's yeah. you know, boy, you talk about a forgotten war. Holy cow. And uh, in a, a, a confusing prehistoric hellhole as well, the word is now the Taliban's got serious divisions where they have a, a branch that is uh, down with negotiating with the government and coming up with a ruling coalition and figuring it out. And then the hardcore guys are like, what? No, we're going to keep slaughtering people for Allah. What are you talking about? Wait, 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 wait a second. I just took something fun and turned it serious. Well, yeah. what, what am I doing here? So uh, on CNN, so did they drop the, the BS bomb unbleeped, yeah. which you can do on cable? That's true. Yeah. 
Um, but don't usually do it on the shows. Joe's been for the mainstreaming of BS as a word for quite some time. And oh, yeah. I, I think I agree. There's a bunch yeah. of other words that people throw around. I don't want I don't want a part of public you know society. Mm-mm. But BS should be a word you can say. It's such a good descriptor of when somebody's giving you a line of stuff that's you know just right. not true. Slippery slope. I think most of us would <laughs> would just say it in front of your mother. Yeah, you have too I much bullets on a slope, it becomes a slippery slope. I, I would say BS in front of my mother. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um but meatloaf tastes like BS. No, I wouldn't say that. Oh, Lord. No. no right, that's like, like uh, the horse. Can, can we use horse? Or is it specific to the bull? I like I horse, think, too. Uh, horse is good, too. Okay. Matt Taibbi famously using it to describe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the idiotic pile of horse s, uh, white fragility, the book. Um, yeah, uh, I think if you allow, well, I mean, if you allow the bull's poo to be in conversation, but not the horse's, that's probably speciesism. We got Al Gore saying it, right? Remember? How about chicken? Chicken's perhaps oh, yeah. the best. Yeah, but that's you being a coward, doing something cowardly. You're being so, a... No, well, no. It's a different the, thing. It's a different or, word. Or you could say that, it's a, that was a... It could be describing something else. Oops. Well, I see what you're saying. I've never heard anybody describe a, uh, something non-factual as chicken ass. How about if they're describing turning something into chicken salad? <laughs> well, uh, but the, hmm, I don't think that should. Well, yes, it should matter. And maybe it's but because cowardice I'm a, is not like an undiscussed concept. You ought to be if you can say bull ass to mean well bull ass. <laughs> uh, you should be able to say chicken ass. Yeah, see, here's the slippery slope I was talking about. Because there's too much chicken ass on it. Um, no, I, there is a difference. I, I, I'm the more I think about it, the more I get what you're saying. Al Gore, Be, because bullshit. There you go, <laughs> That's Mr. Al Gore. Vice President, sir. Uh, there is a difference between using the F word as an intensifier. That was a great effing game. Or uh, what the blank? Or I don't give a blank. But then, if you use it specifically to describe it, uh, yeah. to use it to describe an act of uh, physical even, interaction, we won't even hint at that because it's that much more. It's coarse, yeah, very coarse, yeah. So, all right, words have meanings. <laughs> words, 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 words. Things are getting really weird at the National Museum of American History and Culture. Writes uh, Beckett Adams, and he's right. He's with the the uh, Washington Examiner. Uh, Byron York of that same paper tweeted about this. The this is the National Museum of uh, a- African American History and Culture in D.C. Right there uh, on on the National Mall, talking about race, aspects, and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. White dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. Sounds a little scary, like it shouldn't have happened. All right, what are they talking about? The idea of uh, internalizing culture, how is that automatically a bad thing? You have to stick with... A particular culture, good aspects and bad aspects forever? No, nobody be, thinks that. No, it would be crazy. No, but they decide that these qualities are white culture in the United States. Rugged individualism. The individual is the primary unit. Well, yeah, the Constitution's based on that thought. Self-reliance is white culture. 
independence and autonomy. Individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. That's white culture. Okay. The nuclear family is white culture. Father, mother, children. Uh, Emphasis. Oh, my God. This one's so troubling. Emphasis on the scientific method. Objective, rational, linear thinking is white culture. Cause and effect relationships like physics and Newton and all science is white culture, Uh, which would assume that that's not black culture. Rational thinking. History is the primacy of Western and Judeo-Christian tradition. Yeah, like any culture. Yeah. Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. If you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. These are white culture. And these attitudes and ways of life have been normalized over time. Yeah, because they're normal. And they're at the bedrock of every successful culture of every color on earth. Now, there are some variations, maybe the way the family's organized or or that sort of thing, although a lot of that is misinterpreted. But the idea that being objective is acting white, this is straight out of the horrific abuse of children where anybody who tried in school was accused of acting white. What a horrible thing. And this is at the National African American Museum. That's troubling. The Smithsonian, the government of the United States, is sponsoring this poison. God, it's astounding to me that this stuff has taken hold to the extent that it has. And well, good luck, future. <laughs> so on the schools opening, somebody, I didn't verify this. Somebody said uh, safe to do so, safe to open schools has been defined where they are as seven days with no COVID cases. If this is going to be the new... In in their area? In the county. Okay. If this is going to be the new standard, kids will not be, this person says, kids will not be in an actual class for a long time. Unless there's a vaccine, I'll sprout wings and fly to the moon before kids get back to school. I would say no cases is a standard. Yeah, it will be years. Uh, For seven days? you got to go a whole week without a single case. That's ridiculous. In a highly populated county. That's ridiculous. It's worthy of ridicule. That is so ill-considered and knee-jerk and dumb. Oh, man. I don't know if we can survive ourselves. It won't be the COVID that gets us. It'll be our stupidity. That's what I find troubling about but, about China and Russia getting together the way they are and declaring there's a new world order and the United States is not at the forefront of it anymore. At the same time that China and Russia are coming together and China's more powerful than it's ever been, et cetera, et cetera, we're doing what we're doing to ourselves. That's that, that. Those aren't those are completely separate, aren't they? They're, they're not causing this to happen. They're Russia, helping. Russia's helping, you know, no doubt about it. But uh, a lot of this is an internal. So at the same time, we've got an external threat. We've got an unbelievably uh, unbelievable internal threat. Uh, that's a bad combination. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's a dangerous time. Anecdotally, in my lifetime, I've never felt less secure as an American. Oh, how would it be? That's probably true going back centuries. Yeah. One thing that is uh, really encouraging and heartening, getting back to the uh, the African American Museum uh, poison, is uh, Byron York, the examiner, tweeted out that sign, um, which is actually at the museum, and uh, a bunch of black parents commented on Twitter and said, "If my black son grows up and follows these norms, I'll consider myself a success as a black parent." A lot of stuff like that. Um. People who have a grip on reality and not just knee-jerk reciting of bizarro 
um, you know, ideas, politically correct slash social justice warrior ideas. That's interesting. That's disheartening. Uh, I got a few more comments I want to make on this anniversary uh, of sorts. If you don't know what's the anniversary of, uh, stay tuned for that conversation. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's the 75-year anniversary of the beginning of the atomic age today. The first atomic bomb was set off in the desert in New Mexico, and then a couple of weeks later we dropped a very similar bomb on Japan, uh, leading to the end of World War II. But uh, ever since then, atomic weapons have been with us, and we now have bombs that are so much more powerful than that. I mean, they're, 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 they're apples and oranges comparisons. And we got a whole bunch of them, and Russia's got a whole bunch of them in a bunch of other countries, and we could destroy mankind today if uh, you know a handful of people decided to do it. Um, one of the scientists that day, 75 years ago, having just seen the first mushroom cloud, and nobody knew it was going to look like a mushroom cloud. I'd, I'd never really thought about it before, but they had no idea what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They, didn't, they didn't know what it's going to look like. They didn't know if it was going to destroy the whole state. Or some of the scientists who had been working on it for years didn't think it was possible it would even work. Wow. Um, but anyway, so they saw the flashlight, the mushroom cloud, the every blade of grass and everything incinerated within many, many miles and all that. And one of the scientists said, I'm sure that at the end of the world, in the last millisecond of the Earth's existence, the last man will see what we just saw. I think that's quite possibly true. Um when the day comes. But so, uh, former Secretary of Defense William Perry, he was he served seven presidents, he and a bunch of other politicians, and there's a, there's a movement going on to try to denuclearize the, the, the planet. Now, this has been going on, well, really, for practically all of the 75 years in various forms with various politicians, and uh, but he's trying to get people re-interested in it. His concern is that we've gone several generations now since the end of the Cold War, and young people just, it's not on anybody's mind. Nobody ever thinks about it. Right. He said, we have a loaded gun pointed at our head, and nobody thinks about the fact that we've got a loaded gun pointing at our head. And if we just stumble a little bit that way, we hit our elbow or something, it goes off and we're dead. Um, and he says the risk of a mistake is way higher than the risk of an actual war. What sort of mistake? Uh, well, there have been several through history. He gives one example of uh, in the 70s when Carter was president. Oh, it's it's almost always a malfunction, malfunctioning of equipment. Some equipment showed incoming missiles from Russia. And so guy saw it and thought, holy crap, got a hold of uh, Mika Brzezinski's old man. He's a big new Brzezinski there in the White House and said, missiles are on the way from Russia. At least that's what my computer's showing me. His job was to to call the president and tell him. And uh, and wake up Jimmy Carter in the middle of the night. Carter would have had five minutes to decide whether or not to launch our missiles as a response. Because if you don't, it's too late. They've taken out your missiles. Mm. He'd have had five minutes to decide. Uh, Brzezinski, as the uh, NSA director at that time, sat on it for just a little bit. And in that amount of time, the guy called back and said, okay, I figured it out. It's a malfunction. But he was oh, that man. close to waking up President Carter. And there have been a handful of those throughout history. It's 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 almost always a some sort of computer problem. Some the radar is not working. Some mm-hmm. sort of malfunction, or we've got it set in test mode, or something like that. And he's saying the it, it doesn't make sense 
Unless you end up with a madman with a bomb, it's never made sense to attack another country that way. Right. You just you gain nothing from it. Right. So the 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 idea of a mistake is much higher, and that for that reason, maybe we can convince people if to not get rid of them, you know, altogether, just take it down so many notches that we can't destroy the planet. Yeah, well, and reducing the the raw number is important too. Just because I'm worried about you know some Pakistani general with sympathetic uh, right. sympathies for ISIS or whatever. You know, getting the keys to the silo and saying, all right, Thursday at uh, midnight, come on in. There's also a big philosophical argument on whether or not we should declare that we will never use it as a first strike. Um, We would only do it as a deterrent. Then there's also the idea of would any individual president actually launch that uh, second strike? We're being attacked by Russia. Would we launch our missiles to attack them back? Or do you just absorb the blow and let the world go on? What good do you do by deciding, okay, we'll show you, now everybody's dead? Right, right. It's, what, a, what gr- does... it's a great mental exercise discussing these things. I'm not even sure. I wonder, do all presidents think about that? Has Trump noodled that through? Did, 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 did Reagan, did Obama, do they think, you know what, if it came down to it, no, I wouldn't. I'm not going to say that out loud, because if you say it out loud, you lose you know, all deterrent capability. Sure, yeah. Well, I, I, absolutely they think about it. I'm they not sure to. I would. You would what? I'm not sure I would fire back. What are you gaining at that point? Well, I'd have to discuss it with my, my advisors. You got about eight minutes. It's the middle of the night. How much time are you going to take? Yeah, we've we've talked about this seven before. Seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, seven and a half. Yeah, there's an argument to be made by, all right, this is such an outrageous and horrifying uh, violation of international norms. The world would actually come together, and the regime that launched those nukes would be done. They would be done. Every single country on Earth would unite. They would wipe them out of power or whatever, or sanctions, cripple, you know. And that way, we look like the good guy, and uh, and, and we will change the world order for the better. Um, you know, the counter-argument is, well, then you send the message that go ahead and nuke us, <laughs> because we won't strike back. But it depends on a lot of factors. You don't have much time to make a decision. That's a tough one. Like, like Kanye, I've withdrawn my candidacy. This decision is too difficult. Yeah. You know what a happy ending. I'm Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Final. Oh, that haunting echo at the end. Oh, taunting. Here's your host, Joe Getty. Hey, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. Michelangelo pressing the buttons in the control room. Michael, final thought? Yeah, support your local restaurants, even if it's outdoor dining. I went outside and visited a friend yesterday, but bring sunscreen or an umbrella. I got burned a little. Mm. No boy. Positive, Sean. A final thought for us? Anecdotally, when I'm out and about grabbing supplies or just kind of driving, I'm seeing more masks, and that makes me an individual happy. So keep it up. You guys look great. All right, here come 10 more emails. Jack, a uh, final thought to share? It's pretty clear to me I actually look better with a mask. I, I just, I'm more attractive to people with a mask on, so I want this to continue for quite some time. Uh, I'm reading the book Countdown 1945. If you have any interest in it as we get closer to the 75th anniversary of blowing the bejesus out of Japan, uh, that's a heck of an e- easy, breezy, fun read. Mm. And I would say we are living in strange times when the alleged uh, racial justice types are echoing the arguments of the Klan and are the most virulent and and nasty racists I've seen uh, since, you know, the Civil Rights Movement. Very odd times. I don't think most people are buying this garbage, but uh, you got to have the guts to stand up against it. Although you'll probably lose your job, so keep that in mind. 
da 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 the On Demand, which is the show all chopped up and ready to go. Arrgh. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Also, under hot links, we've posted a lot of the articles, videos, and stuff that we've talked about today. I still ask the question because I still want to hear the answer from as many teachers as possible. Do you want to be back in the classroom with students or not? Text line 415-295-KFTC. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I, I did not say okay. that. I've sat here for over three hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> that sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say how very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? Just with a freak Armstrong and Getty.